Father, we thank you for this time together this evening. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Father, for always believing the best about us. Never giving up on us, Lord. Always um, just expecting things to, uh, uh, you know, to work out in our lives, Lord, for us to choose you and to choose your best and highest. And Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for the life and peace that we have, Father, because of you tonight. And Lord, we just pray for our sister Ruth, Lord. I thank you for this precious lady. I thank you, Lord, for just her love for you and her love for others. And I just pray, Father, wherever she is tonight, that you just put your hand on her. I thank you for the peace of God that passes understanding. That's guarding her heart and mind. And I thank you, Father, for medicine and doctors and nurses, but you're her great physician. And so, Father, we just thank you again for life and peace for our sister in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you that your love is here and your word is here and your truth is here and your Holy Spirit's here. You're here, Father. You're in us. You're with us. You're among us. You're upon us. And I thank you, Father, that um, we're receiving your word tonight. We're hearing it, receiving it. Lord, we're, we're recognizing things we've never recognized before. We're embracing things we've never embraced before. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. All right, so um, for those of you who uh, have asked, and we apologize, there, and this has not happened this many times in 13 years, but there was an issue with the recording last week. We have no idea what it was. Um, they tested it thoroughly, microphones, everything. But tonight, I have a backup just in case, all right? So, um, let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, got a good bit of stuff to try to cover tonight. And then, of course, after tonight, there will be one class remaining. Next week will be our last week, so um, at least until uh, we start again in August. And I'll have that date for you next week as far as when we will start again um, in August. And August will be here uh, before we know it. Praise God. All right, 1 John chapter 2. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the subject of salvation, um, and we've been talking about it more from, in other words, not just you should be saved, you need to be saved, but, you know, taken, I guess, for granted, maybe that's not the right way to say it, but uh, just believing that every person in this room has already been saved, we've, we've been looking in greater detail as to what it means to be saved. And it's easy to throw that around. A lot of people have been, but a lot of the people who have been have no idea what happened to them when they were and what it now means to their lives and to their futures and even to their eternity. So we've been digging into it, and um, hopefully it, it's been of benefit to you. And um, so we completed last week the section that we call identifying with the completed work of Jesus. And we looked at his sinless life. We looked at his death, um, his uh, burial, his resurrection, and then his return, ascension, back to the Father. Those five different components, of course, are covered in Ephesians 2. And it's those components, amen, that um, we are all identifying with. Because remember, it says all this happened to Jesus in Ephesians 1, and then chapter 2 in Ephesians begins, and you he made alive, and you he raised up, and you he uh, seated together with Jesus in those heavenly places. So, identifying with the completed work of Jesus, um, next week we're going to um, finish whatever we don't get targeted this week, and, uh, and we're going to talk about renewing of the mind. But, you know, identifying with, connecting with, embracing, uh, internalizing these things, again, critically, critically important. In other words, it's not just enough to say Jesus died on the cross, but as Paul said, I was crucified with him, I was buried with him, I was raised with him. I ascended with him. I am seated with him, far above all principality, power, might, 
and dominion and every name that can be named. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, these next four words um, are four key salvation terms. Um, and I went ahead and wrote all four of them on the board so we could just teach right through them. Um, the first word is propitiation, or as I told you last week, some people do the sh in the middle, so propitiation. And really, if you look it up, both pronunciations are accurate, so however uh, you like to say it or however you can say it, right? Sometimes words are hard to say. The next word is redemption. You've probably heard this word, redemption. The next word, uh, justification. And then the final one is reconciliation. Now, for those of you who are here at the beginning, uh, class one, we talked about reconciliation, and so we're coming full circle all the way back around to that very, very important word. So propitiation, redemption, justification, reconciliation. So these are all big words, and I'm going to give you some definitions, uh, but most importantly, I'm going to show you these, ver verses, or these words in verses from the Bible uh, and help you connect with them, again, on a personal level. So 1 John chapter 2, I think we read this last week, but let's read it again tonight. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So again, verse number 2, And He Himself, Jesus Christ the righteous, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And while we're looking at the Word, let's go over to chapter 4 and verse 10, same book, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10. And we, there's other places in the Bible where we can find this Word. We find it in Hebrews, we find it in Romans, we may come across another one or two, but I just want us to begin with these two tonight. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10 and it says this, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So he's saying that this is love, and this is the love that God has for us, that God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. For our sins. So let's talk for a minute then about this word propitiation. The word propitiation, the simplest definition that I can give, and, and you can look it up in different Bible dictionaries and you'll see much, much lengthier definitions than this, but again, a lot of times in this class when I give a definition, people want every word of it written down, so I try to make it as, uh, as concise as possible. But it, it means this, to appease the wrath of God on account of sin, or you could say because of sin. To appease the wrath of God because of sin. To appease, A-P-P-E-A-S-E, to appease the wrath of God on account of sin. Now, I am a uh, faith child of a faith God. Um, I, uh, I serve the one who came to set the captives free. Um, when we speak as ministers of reconciliation, it is as if he is speaking through us. Um, we have, and do not apologize for it, spent a great deal of time talking about the goodness of God, the grace of God. But of course, uh, several weeks back, we, we talked about how the grace of God and the fear of God are not opposite ends of the same spectrum, but they are actually hand in glove. In other words, if we have no respect for God and who He is, then there's really no basis in our lives to appreciate the grace that He has given to us. Let me say that another way. If we never fully understand 
the jam we were in, if we never fully understand that we were not just in a bind, we were not just, you know, like in trouble, but we were dead, we were damned. We were damned to an eternity in a devil's hell, and there was absolutely nothing we could do about it because we have all sinned and we have all fallen short. And until we understand that, until we understand who God is and the power and authority that He has over us, the fear of God, then we really have no basis to appreciate and be grateful, thankful for um, the grace, the mercy, the undeserved favor that He has bestowed upon us. Are you still with me tonight? This is really, really, really important, all right? So when we talk about propitiation, obviously each one of these terms are going to build upon the other, but it really does begin with the bare bones minimum of that Jesus came to appease God's wrath, the wrath, the punishment that we all deserved. Jesus came to absorb that wrath, that punishment for us. He became our sin. He died uh, you know, as one with our sin who became our sin to satisfy the, the justice or the wrath um, that was due, the payment that was due because of the sin that you and I uh, not just have committed, but even as we've learned the sin that will be committed in the future. All right? Now, we're going to build on this as we work our way through these. But I want to point something out to you that is extremely important. Again, all right? And that is the word in verse number 2 of chapter 2. He himself is. Okay? That word is, is important. Right? And then a similar word in chapter 4, verse 10, and that is the word be. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So Jesus himself is our propitiation. God the Father sent him to be the propitiation. All right? Now, why am I emphasizing these words? Well, because it was more than just Jesus came to give it. It was more than Jesus just came to do it. It was more than Jesus just came to produce it. But he came to be it. Are you hearing me? He came to be it. All right? So let me say it another way. Because he came to be it, he is it. Amen? Why is he still it? Amen. Because he is still alive. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, if Jesus had remained in the grave, he would have been the propitiation for our sins, but, that, but the propitiation of our sins no longer exists because he's dead, right? But because he now rules on the throne in heaven as an eternal spirit, the eternal spirit that is Jesus is our propitiation. So let me say it another way. We, we often sing, what was the lady, Nicole, I forget her name, I know my Redeemer lives, okay? Well, thank God our Redeemer lives, but guess what? It's not nearly as poetic in a gospel song, but our propitiation lives as well, amen? amen. So he is our propitiation. He came to be our propitiation. Now, let me, um, let me ask you something, all right? What, what do you do? Because I'm, I'm wanting you to put yourself in God's shoes for a moment, okay? What do you do when you love the object of your wrath? Right? In other words, we deserved His wrath, and His wrath was eternal death, 
But the problem with this was, while at the same time we deserved His wrath, He loves us. And, and He doesn't want to see us punished. So the way He satisfied His wrath was by turning it upon Himself. He satisfied His wrath by turning it upon Himself. Remember, Jesus is as much God as God the Father. Jesus is as much God as God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus became a man. And as a man, He represented all of us. He was our substitute, remember? So now, He is man, but He is God. And so God now satisfies His wrath by turning His wrath, not upon you and me, but by turning it upon Himself. Jesus appeased the wrath of God because of sin. Because of your sin and because of my sin. Now, one last passage before we move on. And that one's in John chapter 3. Not 1 John, but the Gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 36. Now, um, I know that, you know, again, we have different levels of, as far as, Bible knowledge and understanding. Some of you have been studying the Bible longer than, I'm, than, than I've been alive. Okay, um, Others, you're new to all of this. I do want to point out to you, uh, in case you have overlooked it, is that John chapter 3 is the chapter where we find Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, where Jesus explained about being born again, where we find John 3.16, that, that God sent His only begotten Son in the world, whosoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes on to say that God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but He came to a world that was already condemned in an effort to provide a way of escape for all those who had been condemned. So Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody to hell. We condemned our own selves to hell. Jesus came to provide salvation. He came to provide a way of escape. Now, I'm not going to go back through all that. We spent a lot of time in that um, over these past 34 classes. But I do want to point out to you the final verse. John chapter 3, verse 36, it says this, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Not will have, but has it already. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, I point this out to you for a couple of reasons. Number one, to show you again that the wrath of God upon man because of mankind's sin. Now, it would be very easy, and some folks have become confused, and they preach this, right? They preach that because Jesus was the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, that now there's no longer the wrath of God abiding upon people in the world. That is absolutely not the truth, okay? The wrath of God abides on the one still who has not called upon the name of Jesus to be saved, right? Jesus is their way out. Jesus is their way of escape. But if they do not accept that way of escape, the wrath of God that was on them before Jesus came to this earth and did what he did is still on mankind in the same way. Are you following what I'm saying? All right. Now, with that said, though, I do want to emphasize to you that when Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, he says not for ours only, meaning not just for those who have been born again, but for the sins of the entire world. So again, notice that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. So I've said this before, I'll say it again. 
let's just imagine for a moment someone's in this room, never been born again. They decided right now to get born again. Pastor Mark, I've never been born again. I'd like to get born again right now. I'll shut this whole class down, turn that tape off, because there's nothing more important than that if you haven't been born again. But let's just say, I believe everyone is, but let's just say someone is not. If they come forward, Jesus is not going to have to leave heaven and go back to the earth to be crucified so that one more person can be born again. It's because what he did, he did for sin once and for all, right? Once and for all, a sacrifice for all sin for all time. So because he is still alive, he not just, he knows it doesn't say he was the propitiation, but he is the propitiation. And so he is the propitiation for the sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world, right? One sacrifice for all sin for all time. So anyone who calls upon him now, tomorrow, 20 years from now, um, the sacrifice has already been made. So again, one of the key ways or simplest ways to explain salvation to someone who doesn't understand it is you receiving, accepting for yourself what Jesus has already done for you on your behalf. All right? You with me still? All right. Now, let's talk about this next word. The next word is redemption. It's redemption. And turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9, if you will. Hebrews chapter 9. We'll go ahead and find the verse, and then it'll be just sitting there ready and waiting in our open Bibles um, whenever we get to the verse, all right? So Hebrews uh, chapter 9, and um, so if you will turn to that opening, and um, let's talk a little bit about redemption, okay? The word redemption means this, a release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom. Redemption means this, a release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom. So I'm going to say it again because I know I see a lot of you writing. Okay, so a release secured. While you're writing, let me explain release. In other words, someone, think prisoner or slave. Someone who has either been imprisoned or someone who has been enslaved. Okay? So, we see that Jesus came to proclaim deliverance to the captives, right? I'm sorry, deliverance to the prisoner and to set the captives free. So we're talking about people who have both been imprisoned as well as enslaved. So a release secured by the payment of a debt or a ransom. So he's talking about a prisoner or a slave who has been released to freedom because their payment the payment of their debt or ransom has been made. Are you with me? This is redemption. This is redemption. Right? So, um, I'm not going to try to go too deep with this, but like, you can go and redeem a coupon. If you've ever looked at a coupon, it says you must be redeemed by this date. So the idea is that you bring that coupon in and you redeem it for whatever it is that now the store releases to you. If it's for a free blooming onion at Outback, right? Um, then you go redeem that. What do you mean? You, when, when you give them that, they release that blooming onion to you and all of its glorious fried goodness. Amen. All right, so praise God. Let me get off that right quick. Okay, so you understand, that, that's where we get the idea of, of even a coupon being redeemed. Now, I want to try to present this to you, and I'm, and I'm going to go quickly with this, but um, in the days that the Bible was written, um, there was really no such thing like as bankruptcy laws to protect someone. Um, if you had debts that you couldn't pay, 
you and even your entire family could be imprisoned and worst case scenario, even sold as slaves to help cover your debt. All right? Now, what we see in Scripture is the concept of a kinsman redeemer. Okay? A kinsman redeemer. Everybody still with me? All right. So a kinsman redeemer is some member that is kin to you, some person related to you, who could step forward and pay your debt for you and therefore secure your release either from prison or from enslavement. Now, here is a very simple example. Sister Pam could use this in children's church. But um, I've tried to change it over the years, and I just said, you know what, it works, so we're going to let it work, okay? So I want you to imagine for just a moment that a man gets himself in tremendous debt due to a failure and mismanagement of his farming business. He and his family are sold into slavery to help cover those debts. His older brother hears word of this and comes to redeem this man and his family, buying them out of slavery by doing what? By paying their debts for them. Okay? Now, because a very similar thing had happened to this same man and his family eight years earlier, and the older brother redeemed the man and his family at that time also, the older brother was concerned that he would one day die and not be around to redeem his brothers, sister-in-law, nieces, and nephews should they ever become slaves again. So the older brother devised a plan. Are you keeping up with me? He went to every merchant, every farmer's co-op, every John Deere dealership, every bank, every credit union, every pawn shop, every uh, payday loan, uh, every... Uh, you, amen? Am I get a little too close to home? And he gave each and every one of these institutions a sum of money so great that it would be impossible for his younger brother to ever be in debt again. He, in essence, paid his debts before they were incurred. Okay? Now, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. We owed a debt that we could never pay. There's no way we could ever be good enough to pay for the sin that we had committed. There was no way that we could ever earn our way. There was no way we could ever get ourselves out from under the slavery. We had become enslaved by sin. It wasn't just a bad habit. We had become enslaved to sin. And there was no way for us to be free from sin. But Jesus came and paid the debt. Jesus came and paid our ransom. But He didn't just pay to get us out. He paid so that we could never be brought back into the slavery of sin ever again. So Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. We say here at Heritage, good things coming, and this is where we get this, this saying from. It says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own precious blood, 
he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Are you seeing this? Eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, stop, put the brakes on right quick, this is talking about in the Old Testament when they would offer a sacrifice and it would cover over the sins. All right, But it never could get to the heart of the problem. It never could get to the heart of the problem. Literally the heart of the problem. How much more, if that blood of an animal could do that, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So it's an eternal redemption provided by a Jesus who offered Himself as an eternal spirit so that He could give to those who come to Him an eternal inheritance. A lot of teaching to do right there. I'm not going to try to do it right now, but let me just go ahead and tell you, okay? I was really trying to emphasize that word eternal in case you wasn't listening, in case you weren't listening, all right? Amen. So it's eternal redemption and eternal payment that now provides an eternal inheritance because Jesus did not do it as a temporary sacrifice. His sacrifice was not temporal. His sacrifice was eternal. Because He's eternal, His sacrifice was eternal. Because His sacrifice was eternal, His sacrifice gives you and me eternal redemption. And because we have eternal redemption, we now qualify for eternal inheritance. That's nothing but straight up good news right there. Wow. It is a good word. It is a good word. Forever. Forever. Amen. Alright, so now the next word that we find here is the word justification. Justification. Hallelujah. Now, this word justification means to declare one innocent. To declare one innocent. Comma, to acquit. A-C-Q-U-I-T, to acquit. Anybody here understand the difference between guilty and acquitted? Amen? Amen. To acquit. <laughs> Say no, but you know somebody that does. <laughs> Amen. A-C-Q-U-I-T, acquit. Like acquittal, acquit. That's when the judge says not guilty, right? That's an acquittal. If the judge says not guilty... Not guilty. That means you've been acquitted. Okay? So starting back over to declare innocent, to acquit, comma, to declare righteous. To declare righteous. Righteous is spelled right, R-I-G-H-T, E-O-U-S. Righteous. Justification. To declare innocent, to acquit, in other words, to pronounce not guilty, to declare righteous. To declare righteous. So we see different variations of this word justification. We see the word justify. We see the word justified, past tense. And so from justified, you can very easily remember what this word means. Because this word means just as if I'd never sinned. Amen. Justified, never sinned. 
just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if, just as if I'd never sinned. Just if I'd never sinned. All right? You with me? It's like if you're from the South, I mean, just as if I'd never sinned, justified, justified, never sinned. That may be how you say it anyway, right? If you say things like Coca-Cola and Reckon and that kind of thing, right? Okay. So just as if I'd never sinned, justified, never sinned. Now, the word justified, justification, justify, and righteous are the same word in the Greek language. They, they, they are derived from the same root word, translated into our English word justified, justification, justify, or this word that we are talking about now, righteous. So let me say it another way. Justified and righteous are synonymous with, in essence, mean the same thing, same thing as one another. All right? So turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Amen. Now, I didn't point this out when we talked about redemption per se. I mean, I pointed it out, but I didn't say it just as plain as I can say it, okay? So he is our propitiation and he is our redemption, okay? Jesus didn't just give you redemption. He, in other words, all right, so if, um, so let's just say that uh, Jaden has a debt to David and uh, I, I, uh, I pull out my wallet and I pay Jaden's debt to David so now Jaden is free from the debt. Okay? The redemption, the payment, the redemption is now in David's hands. Are you following this? What was used to redeem him was something that I took from my wallet, gave to David so that Jaden can be free from the debt. But the redemption would have been the $100 bill that I gave him. The redemption is the payment, right? If you go, you know, maybe you can get a, a blooming onion at Outback on your good looks, okay? But, it, you know, they don't let you keep the coupon. When you redeem the coupon, you give them the coupon, they give you the onion, okay? You might like show it to the server, then try to put it in your pocket and hope they forget so you can use it again, but that usually doesn't happen. Okay, so the point I'm trying to make is that the redemption came from me to him but I, in this case, in this example, I was not the redemption. I provided the redemption. Do you see it? Okay? So it's not just that Jesus provided the redemption. It's that He is the redemption. He is the payment. He is the money. He is the cash. He is what paid for the sin. Right? Is there a sin He did not pay for? So that means all sin has not only been propitiated for. That may not be a word, but it's a good doctrine. All right? But we also see now that He is the redemption for all sin, for all mankind. Amen. Right? Okay. Romans chapter 3. And um, let's just begin, sweet Jesus. We could look at this whole chapter. Um, let's begin at verse number 19. It says this, Now we, now we know... That whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now, it's not that God's trying to put everybody on a guilt trip. So don't misunderstand this verse. The reality is that the whole world is guilty before God. 
at least when I say the whole world, people who have not yet been born again. If you've been born again, you're not guilty anymore. The wrath of God's not on you anymore. But if you're not born again, you're still guilty and the wrath of God still abides on you. But this is speaking of the time, of course, when the law was given. Remember, there was only one law until Moses. Don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when Moses came, ten more trees were planted. In other words, ten more commandments were given. And God knew when He gave those commandments that it was not going to stop sin from happening. It was going to cause sin to accelerate. Because if you tell somebody not to do something, it arouses something in them called the law of sin and death that makes us want to do it even more because it's been forbidden. And so Jesus gave the law to expedite every person coming to a very important conclusion. Whether you're a Jew uh, born under the law or a non-Jew, it really makes no difference. The conclusion is this. We're all guilty before God. We cannot make ourselves right before Him in His eyes. And the only way we will ever be right is if we received a gift of righteousness from Him. Which we have. Well said, Emily. So, the law was given, not because the law was broken. Remember, the problem with the law was not that the law was bad. The problem with the law was the weakness of our flesh. And so we couldn't live up to that standard to make ourselves right. We couldn't live up to the righteous standard that God requires. And the law was meant to convince us of that. He said the law would never make a man righteous. The law would never provide a man or a woman with their inheritance. We looked at that in Galatians several weeks back. So just reminding you, okay. So, verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Justified means made righteous. No flesh will be made righteous in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. It just gives us the knowledge of our problem, but the law does not provide the answer to the problem. That's what he's saying here. But now, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, thank you, Jesus. Keep your hand right here and turn with me to Romans 1. Amen. Romans chapter 1, just a couple of pages over. And um, verse number 17. I'm sorry, verse number 18. Verse number 16. 16, 16, got 16, anybody got 15? 15, 15, all right, 16. All right, here we go. I am not ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel of salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Right? Now, as the Holy Spirit is writing this through the Apostle Paul, he is about to take a couple of chapter journey into setting some background. Or let me say it as I like to. Uh, Timothy Keller taught me this. He's about to put the black velvet cloth on top of the jewelry case before he sets the diamond on top of it. All right? And the black, the black velvet cloth begins with these words in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that all of humanity is without excuse. There's no excuse. We have... An amazing creation, it can only mean one thing. We have an even more amazing creator. Amen. 
And you say, well, that's not enough, Pastor Mark. Well, listen, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And if you just look at creation and realize that you're not the big shot here, that you didn't create yourself, that everything around you has purpose including you, and so that whoever created you must have a purpose for you, and you begin to seek Him, whoever He is, to find that purpose, God would have revealed Himself to us. I'm telling you now, you can disagree with me all you want, but I'm telling you the truth. Without excuse. The Bible would not say we're without excuse if we were not without excuse. Now, He's going to go on and do a whole bunch of teaching from there all the way through to verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. He began in verse 18 of chapter 1 saying the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. In other words, we're all, our goose is cooked, in other words. You know what I'm saying? So he's explaining why the goose is cooked. Then he says, but guess what? Good news. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Apart from the law means a way to be right apart from obeying every commandment that comes out of God's mouth to make yourself right. You follow me? Righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And the words, oh, oh hang with me, please. We've got to get to this good stuff, but I want to make sure you understand this. When he says being witnessed by the law and the prophets, remember, there were a lot of people who thought Paul had lost his mind. There were people who could quote the law and the prophets backwards, and they thought he was crazy because they thought Jesus was crazy and killed him. And Paul is saying, uh, 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 as witnessed by the law and the prophets, he's saying, if you will look closely at the Old Testament, you will find this. It's in there. And he's right, it was. Even the righteousness of God, justification, righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many times have we heard that verse and not verse 24? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, verse 24, lowercase b, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a, how do you say it? Propitiation? Propitiation. But it's right there. By His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Alright, a lot to cover here. Let me try to cover it quickly. Did you catch all of that? Beginning with verse 23. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God for your life is God's highest and best. All have sinned. Fallen short of the glory of God. When did we sin? We sin when Adam sinned. And because we sinned when Adam sinned, we were all born of Adam's corrupted seed and we were all born sinners. That's why we were by nature children of wrath. That's why we were sons and daughters of disobedience. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that Jesus paid. The redemption that is, where is it? It's in Christ Jesus. Are you seeing this? We're in this room now. If we go out that door into what's on the other side of that door, we would then be in the hallway. We are in Christ Jesus. 
which means we are in our redemption. Yes? Am I losing you? So we've been justified freely, made righteous freely by God's grace, and, and the means of His grace was the redemption, the price that Jesus paid, and that He is whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So the class began with a great question again by David. Were Adam and Eve in heaven? And the answer, I believe, to that question is yes. Okay. Now, why do I believe that? Well, because we see that there were people forgiven in the Old Testament, right? that we know are in heaven who died before Jesus was ever born. But yet their sins were forgiven. We even see where David and Abraham, who are going to be used as case studies in the letter to the Romans, the book of Romans, that these men were declared righteous by God, unheard of, but their righteousness was not based upon their strict obedience to the law, but they, their righteousness was accounted to them because of their faith. Accounted to them because of their faith. So let's just use Abraham as an example. Abraham had the gospel preached to him. See, when we preach the gospel, when we tell somebody about Jesus, we're telling them about Jesus after the fact after what Jesus did for them. Do you realize that the story of Jesus' sinless life, death on the cross, burial, resurrection, and return back to the Father, that that story was actually told to Abraham before it happened, and before it happened, Abraham believed it, believed that it would happen because God, who cannot lie, told him it was going to happen. He believed it before it happened, and it was accounted to him as being righteous. Amen? Meaning what? He heard the gospel before the gospel was actually fulfilled. He believed it, and because he believed it, he was made righteous based upon something that would happen. Now, people who are born again are made righteous based upon something that has happened. But remember, Jesus is not just the one who was and then is and then one day will be to come, but He is all three at the same time. He both is and was and is to come all in one package right here, right now, tonight for each and every one of us. Amen. So we... I was, sister. <laughs> so we use example before. I'll be quick with it this time. Spend the night with a friend after school, elementary school. We go to the grocery store, Highlander, right here in Hueytown. We go to get stuff, pizza stuff, to have fun that night at this house. And they grab a chip, bag of chips off the rack, and they start chowing down on them, Natalie. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're all going to jail because my family. You know, we talk about lifestyles and the Jimmersons and how you were raised. I wasn't raised that way, okay? But this family, I'm, not, I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm going down with them. I mean, I'm in the same car. You know, this is it. You know, I'm this, you know. And, um. Of course, they just polished them off. The kids were hungry. Everybody was hungry. You want some chips? No, I'm not hungry. And I was starving. I'm not. A, you know, they check my fingers. There ain't going to be no tater chip grease on mine. I'm just telling you straight up, right? And um, so we got to the front, and I'm just kind of standing back, see what's going to happen, you know? And they start throwing all the stuff up on the, on the racks and, and on the belt, and, and it's all going through. And then the last thing they put on there was that empty chip bag. And, 
And the lady rang, this was four scanners, the lady keyed in that empty chip bag. She says, you want the bag? And laughed. And ha ha, no, she wants the bag. And she threw it away in the garbage there and underneath the cash register. And the lady paid and we all went home. In other words, she ate the chips and then redeemed them. Right? Jesus said to a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, you're forgiven of your sins. He said to a man who was lowered through a roof, the first, before, he said your, before he said take up your bed and go home, he said your sins be forgiven you. How? And remember the religious leader says, how does he think he has the ability to forgive sins? He was doing it on credit. So when it says that God in His forbearance had passed over the sins that were previously committed, what He was saying to Abraham is, you go ahead and, and eat the chips of righteousness and Jesus will pay for them when He checks out. He paid for what had already been consumed, what had already been given. Okay? I'm telling you this for a couple of reasons. The, the main one I'm wanting you to see tonight is that because this is Jesus these things are now timeless. Amen. They're timeless. Last verse here, 26. He did this to demonstrate at the present time. So think with me now. Connect all this together. Let the Holy Spirit help you. He's here to help us tonight, okay? He's saying, okay, so let's just use Abraham as another example. Why did God do that for Abraham? Well, obviously, He did it because He loved Abraham. He did it because of Abraham's faith. But He also did it then to demonstrate now his righteousness. Okay? That he might be just, God might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, if you like to mark things in your Bible, I would ask you to mark that one. That to me is um, a landmark milestone passage because it brings a lot of things together. I'm, uh, I'm talking about verse 26, especially that last phrase, that he, God, might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We kind of stumbled down this path briefly last week. Let's, uh, let's hold our shoulders up and walk down it clearly this time, okay? When it says that he, so that he may be just and justifier, back to that question, what do you do when you love the object of your wrath? He, we've sinned, we deserve death, and our judge is a righteous judge. Our judge is a just judge. Our judge can't just sweep our sin under the rug like it never happened. He can't just look the other way and pretend like it, none of it ever... For him to do that, if, if a judge... You know, and listen, I, we it's kind of kidding while I go about acquittal. And I, I, you know, but if you've ever been you know, the victim of an unjust judge, man, it's, my God, help us, right? I mean, a judge who, you know, I've seen like divorce cases, you know, where, uh, you know, the, 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 in one particular case, man, she's in heaven now, but, you know, this, this husband, how he abused her, all that he did to her, and, and, and just, I mean, it was just the most horrible thing. Um, but his attorney in the divorce case, 
his attorney used to be law partner with the judge over the case. And you don't even need me to tell you how that turned out, right? She wound up having to pay him. I'm just telling you. It's worse. It's as far as that kind of miscarriage of justice. So, in other words, I don't. It's very easy for us to say, "Oh God, man, just lighten up a little bit and look the other way." Yeah. Well, what is when it's your situation? It's your family that's been wronged. You don't want the judge to look the other way. You want the judge to be just, right? You understand what I'm saying? So, but again, because of who Father is, he, you know, he's he's just. I mean, he's going to be fair. I mean, whatever he decides, it's fair. You may not agree with it, but it's fair. He's going to be fair. We can trust him to be fair. Fair is not even strong enough word. The word that we need is just. 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 He's a just God. So this elaborate plan for Jesus to become a man, for God to become a man, become our sin, and for the wrath of God to be poured out upon him to pay our debt so that we could be made righteous. Are you understanding? This elaborate plan allowed God to be both a just God and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. He did not have to compromise one for the other. It seemed like the devil had him between the rock and the hard place. He's either going to kill us all. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery. Remember what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to do what the law said. The law said a woman caught in the act of adultery, convicted of adultery, she should be stoned to death. They wanted Jesus, right, to be just according to the law of God and, 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 and execute her. A great... You would think so, wouldn't you, sister? That's why it was a setup. Again, there's no justice here. Where's the man? Takes two to tango, right? Where's the man, right? So, but again, Jesus... When he said what he said to diffuse the situation, let the one without sin cast the first stone, they left from the oldest, I think that means from the wisest, down to the youngest, one by one till none was left. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're not here. And Jesus says, neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. He wasn't sweeping her adultery under the rug. He was saying, they were about to drag you outside the city and, and execute you for your sin. Instead, I'm going to let them drag me outside the city and execute me for your sin. So he was able to be just and justifier, right? He was just in the sense that she committed sin and the sin had to be paid for. He was justifier in the sense that he's going to let himself be punished for her sin. So he's just and justifier. Right? Yes, ma'am. There was only one possible way for God, I love this, to give away his righteousness. Wow. And still be true to both his justice and his mercy. To offer up his own. There you go. Just and justifier. Now, This is, um, it's not exactly, but I like to always try to give credit to folks who do things and write things. And so, uh, I, I don't know the book, but I read this in a Timothy Keller book. And I didn't finish reading the verse. 27 and 28. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Question mark. Of works? In other words, because we've earned it, because we lived up to it, because we somehow was able to rise to the standard? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now, here is the simple, again, example. 
And um, again, the general idea came from uh, uh, something I read in one of Timothy's books, Timothy Keller's books. And it, it simply goes this way. A weak swimmer, like swimming in the water, a weak swimmer, an average swimmer, and a world-class champion swimmer all leave from California to swim to Hawaii. Okay? No matter how weak or how strong a swimmer, they are all going to drown. Okay? A devout Jew, a very moral Gentile, and an absolute heathen all leave California to swim to Hawaii. Okay? What's the point? We think, well, you know, people that were raised in church, people that, you know, have a really easygoing demeanor, people who are just good moral people, that would be like the champion swimmer. You know, good old boy, I mean, he doesn't really go to church much, but, you know, he'll help you if you've got a flat tire, probably drinks a little too much on the weekend. But then you've got the dude, man, it's just the serial killer, you know what I'm saying? And we have this tendency to think that the, you know, Miss Goody Two-Shoes that was raised in church never did anything wrong, you know, can somehow swim from California to Hawaii. It's, it's not happening. It's, it's not happening. It's just, it, you follow what I'm saying? Okay. Um, Romans 5. Let's turn over a couple of chapters, or a couple of pages, depending on where you are. Thank you, Father. All right. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of reasons we could look at this verse. The main one I want to point out to you is that it says, having been justified. All right? So, another way you could read this, having now been made righteous. Having now been made righteous, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being yes, ma'am. I, I just put the being made righteous in there because it's the same, it means the same thing. So, um, the New King James Version, therefore, comma, having been justified by faith, comma, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I'm, and so some of your, your translations may say justified, some may say righteous. I'm just trying to help you connect these two words together. All right? So, Having been justified means you have been made righteous. All right? Okay. Um, Romans 5 and 17. For if by the one man's offense, and that one man we know from the preceding verses uh, was Adam, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, and that word there, reign, means literally ruled with an iron fist. 
um, would not let anyone escape. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the One, Jesus Christ. Will reign in life through the One, Jesus Christ. Now, um, we may come back to Romans if you want to hold your hand there. Um, but let's go to 2 Corinthians... Well, let's just go... Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. I, there's a lot of verses coming up. And, amen. I want, I want you to... If you don't have a chance to turn to everyone and see them, I want you to at least write them in your notes, okay? I... 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. And just to remind those of you who are here from the beginning, um, these verses, uh, beginning uh, in verse 14 um, through 21, are the biblical basis for the 36 classes that we're almost at the end of. Okay, And it says this, For he... The He here is God, the Father. For God the Father made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, there is a might in this passage, or a may, we may become, not because some folks who saved do eventually become and others do not. That's not what he's saying. The, 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 the reason that this word might is used is back to he is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world, but for the one who's not called upon the name of the Lord, the wrath of God still abides on him. That wrath has not been appeased as far as, as, far as that individual is concerned because they have not received for themselves what Jesus did on their behalf. All right. Now, um, let's go back. I'm doing this a little different than I've, than I've done it in years past, and so that's why I'm a little confused on what I want to do next. Um, let's go back to Romans 5. We'll, we'll jump in and catch that one. And then there's a few others that I want you to look at in Romans. All right. Romans 5 again, and I need to change the order of this, but I, and I'm, not, I'm just explaining, okay? I started to say I apologize. There's no need to apologize for something, but um, this has morphed over the years, and so I need to make myself a note to kind of reorder these. But anyway, here we are. Romans 5 and um, verse 9. Romans 5 and 9. Again, much more then, having now been justified by His blood, and remember, having now been justified means having now been made righteous. Having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. There's that word wrath again. And this word wrath, like some of the others we've looked at, not every wrath, English wrath in the dictionary means eternal damnation, but this one does. Okay, so I want to point out the different tenses here. 
So he says, having been made righteous, this verb tense in the Greek is a past completed work. Having been made righteous, past completed work, we are now righteous, present tense state of being, and will therefore be saved from eternal damnation in hell, future tense results and benefits. Okay? He's talking about the past completed work, have been made, because we have been made, we are. Remember when John said it this way, what man of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Why should we be called the children of God? Beloved, because now we are the children of God, right? We should be called because we are. We are because we became, okay? Is that too simple of a point? Having been made righteous, past completed work, we are now righteous, present tense state of being, and will therefore be saved from eternal damnation in hell. Future tense results and benefits. Okay. Um, wow. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Thank you, Lord. Romans chapter 10, and um, let's begin at verse number 1. Romans chapter 10, verse number 1. All right. <clears throat> Brethren, sistren, amen, dudes and dudettes, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, meaning what? Jewish people is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, we could say a passion for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. All right. <clears throat> I know sometimes that, you know, I, I say before a lot of things, please listen, this is really important, bring your heart's attention, so forth and so on, okay? And that's just like me trying to, you know, verbally highlight something. Me verbally, you know, put it in all pink, all bright yellow, what have you. <clears throat> this is where so many people in the body of Christ are stuck. What I'm about to tell you, what we're about to talk about, okay? There are a lot of people who have grown up into the things of God as far as as they can possibly grow until they embrace the truth about God's righteousness and the gift of His righteousness to them. The old system was a works-based, performance-based system. It was a system that required you to be obedient in order to be blessed. If you were obedient, you were blessed, but if you were disobedient, you were cursed. We're not under that system anymore. 
Brother Copeland sometimes says some of the most simple things that are the most profound things ever. But he simply said, he said this the other day and it just hit me like, thank you Jesus for that wonderful, glorious revelation. And that is this. If you are not under grace and righteous by faith, then it's illegal for God to bless you. Are you following what I'm saying? Because that means you're wanting to be blessed according to that old system and none of us deserve to be blessed under the old system. But remember what Romans 4 said, that he took it out of that works-based, performance-based system and brought it into a faith-based, grace-based system. Not what you do, but what's been done for you. Not what you've earned, but what you've been freely given. Grace affords Father the luxury of treating you and me like sin never happened. Grace affords Father the luxury of giving to you and me not what we deserve, but what He desires for us to have. So He created this new covenant. He created this new system. A system that wherein you and I become, we're made, we're given and become right before Him in the eyes of God. Just as right before Him in His eyes as Jesus. And Jesus never sinned. That's why the first thing we wrote up there last week before last was sinless life. And how many people don't identify with that. But Jesus came to this earth as a man and lived a sinless life. And He gave you the credit for what He did. Which means when Father God looks at you and me as born again believers, He does not see a person who committed all kinds of sin but has now been forgiven. Instead, He looks at you and sees you as someone who has never committed a sin in your entire life. This is the righteousness that you and I have become. It's the gift that we've been given. Amen. Amen. Now, people tend to hold on to that old system. And that's what he's talking about here in Romans chapter 10. That the Jews who did not believe in Jesus, they had not accepted what Jesus did for them on their behalf. They're still trying to make themselves righteous. And these people are passionate about God. These people have a zeal for God. These people, as we would say, are on fire for God. But not according to knowledge. Not according to understanding. Because they're trying to establish something for themselves that has already been established for them. They're trying to do something themselves that they can never do and at the same time are ignorant that Jesus came and did it for them and is willing and ready to give them the credit for His righteous life so that they can be just as right before His Father as He is. So he says that they have a passion, they have a zeal, they, they're trying, they're trying really hard, they keep falling down, and they keep getting up, and they just keep going after it, and it's pitiful because it's futile. It'll, they will never be right before God, and therefore they will never have the true inheritance. And Paul's heart ached for them. At one point he even said, if there's some way they could all be saved and he could be cast away, he would gladly make that exchange. Notice it says, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, verse 3, seeking to establish their own righteousness, seeking to make themselves right, seeking to compensate for their own failures by good works and thinking that somehow that's going to make them more right before God in the eyes of God than other folks or whatever. They have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Listen to me, please. There's only one way to be right before God in the eyes of God, and that is to submit to the righteousness that He has made available to you. 
Submit means surrender. Submit means to come under. Submit means to give up, right? To tap out. In other words, in, in, you understand that? I'm wrestling terminology, but, you know, in other words, these, these folks are wrestling and struggling. They're wrestling with themselves. They're wrestling with the law. They're wrestling with the religious standards of the day. They're wrestling with changing winds of morality. They're wrestling. They're struggling. They're fighting. They're enslaved. They're trying to break free. They can't break free. They do good for a few days and they do bad for a few days. They, they get older and, and the testosterone and all that settles down a little bit, but they're still tempted by this and they struggle in this area and they fight and they struggle and they give more offerings. They make more sacrifices. They give more money. They try to do better. They just blah, blah. And it's just this ongoing thing. And the only way that they ought to be righteous is to surrender. Is to submit to the righteousness of God. Now, listen to me please. Submitting to the righteousness of God involves or requires the following. Number one. An admission on your part that you are powerless to make yourself right. An admission on your part that you are powerless to make yourself right. Until you realize you can't do it yourself, you're going to keep trying. But if you will ever come to the point where you realize, I am powerless to do this myself, and therefore, i got to have somebody to help me. Number one, it requires an admission on your part that you are powerless to make yourself right. Number two, it requires an admission on your part that you are powerless to keep yourself right. I can't make myself right, and I can't keep myself right. Powerless to keep myself right. Or if you want to put righteous there. But I like right because right I think, amen. You know, pe people are, are you right with God? After I was born again, you know, people would ask me, are you right with God? And man, I was like, oh man, I don't know if I'm right with God. Because I did not understand what it, what it meant to be right with God. I thought me being right with God was based upon whether or not I've read my Bible every day this week. You know? All right, so there's three of them. Number one, submitting to righteousness requires an admission on your part that you are powerless to make yourself right. Number two, admission that you are powerless to keep yourself right. Number three, and, I, and this one's going to require a little thought on your part, okay? The third thing, submitting to the righteousness of God requires an admission on your part that you are also powerless to either increase or decrease the righteousness that you have become. That you are powerless to either increase or decrease the righteousness that you have become. If increase and decrease are two big words, you can say add to or take away from. Submitting to the righteousness of God requires an admission on your part. Number one, that you're powerless to make yourself right. Number two, powerless to keep yourself right. And number three, you're powerless to, 
to either increase or decrease the righteousness you have received. See, you write, so I want you to keep writing. So I want, I want to talk about those, but I want to make sure that you, those of you who want to get them written down, that you got them written down. I think the first one is clear enough, I mean, as far as what it means. This is where, again, a lot of people get stuck, is that they think that salvation was God making them right, and now they're on their own to keep themselves right. But it is impossible for you to maintain something you cannot produce. You can't produce righteousness and you can't maintain it. Okay? So you are not just dependent upon Jesus to make you right. You are also dependent upon Him to keep you right. Now this next one is the really, 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 really important one. Okay? They're all important. I keep wanting to just apologize for saying everything's important. But hear the cry of my heart in my, you know poor communication or whatever, is I, I, in the name of Jesus, I want you to hear and receive the Word of God concerning this truth. It'll set you free like few other truths will set you free. Because so many people in the body of Christ today are laboring under this burden that somehow it's their responsibility to keep themselves right and because they have, you know... On again, off again, spurts and, and two steps forward, one step backwards sometimes in our behaviors and actions that we think that our relationship with God is on again, off again, and nothing can be further from the truth. So this last one is submitting to the righteousness of God involves you admitting that you are powerless to either make yourself any more right than He's already made you, and you are just as powerless to make yourself any less right or righteous than He's already made you. In other words, your actions cannot make you more right than your brother or sister sitting next to you. And they, you know, it's kind of, that's kind of like what you want to do. You know, it's like, man, you know, you know man, if that lady, yeah, as close as she walks to Jesus, man, she's more righteous than anybody. Nope. Nope. There's only one righteous, right? And that's Jesus. And we've all partaken of His righteousness. We've all been made His righteousness. And we are just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus. And the only way that we could ever be any more righteous than we are right now is not because we gave $10,000 to the foundry or, or, or what have you, but the only way you could ever be any more righteous than you are right now is for Jesus to be more righteous than He is right now because you're in Him and He's in you and His righteousness has become your righteousness. And the only way for your righteousness to be any less than it is right now is for Jesus' righteousness to somehow diminish. It's not of works, lest any man or woman should try to brag or boast about it. So there's nothing left then for us to do but to submit to this. Now when I said this is where so many people in the body of Christ are stuck, they're stuck in the sense that they are more sin conscious than they are righteousness conscious. In other words, they tend to see themselves as a sinner saved by grace because we hear that so often. No such thing. I'm not going to go into frothing at the mouth, screaming fit about that like I normally do, okay? But that's where a lot of people are because they see themselves as some kind of hybrid between someone who's saved and someone who still isn't. And, and obviously we've tried to explain that with spirit, soul, and body and why 
it seems and looks and feels like we're not when we are as saved as Jesus is saved. We are as alive as Jesus is alive. There may still be some remnants of death and grave clothes uh, you know, attached to us, but it doesn't change that we've been given new life, that what killed us has been solved forever, and He has restored us, right? And so the sooner we begin to see ourselves as the righteousness that we have become and stop seeing ourselves as the sinner that we once were, and we develop in our hearts and our minds a righteousness awareness as opposed to a sin and self uh, uh, and, and, and you know, consciousness uh, awareness, um, the more we're going to be able to grow up into the things that Jesus has for us to grow up into. All right? Now, um, thank you, Lord. Alright, I did these on um, on cards. So because I thought you may want to hold on to um, to these. And uh, this is called an overview of righteousness. I tell you what, I'm gonna hand them here and then I'm gonna half them. And Jaden, if you'll start that way, I think there's enough arms and long arms there that can reach. We need another one? Okay. Oh, extra, thank you. Amen. Alright, I know this sounds probably odd on the tape, so. We need some more. Amen. I'm apologize, sister. Let's get them on down here. Amen. We should have plenty of. If not, we'll get some more. I'm just going to hand. Well, amen. Amen. One more. All righty. There we go. Okay. How many? Ooh, there's four. We need them. Let's see. Hopefully, we've got some more. Man, don't tell me we don't have enough. Okay. Um, so when I said this morning you're wise beyond your years it took me a lot of years to come to that conclusion Emily but I think it's 1000% the epitome of arrogance if we think that we can add to or take away from Jesus' righteousness then that is incredibly prideful and arrogant do we have enough for the men? amen I can make some more Have I messed up now? Oh, <laughs> uh, there's two. There's two now. There's one that says an overview of righteousness, and then there's one that says understanding the relationship between righteousness and doing right. Okay, both. Both. Wait, give me. Let me get one of those, Dave. And I promise we can get some more copies made. You know, we thought we had like way more than enough. Okay. We're going to start with an overview of righteousness once everybody gets one. And is, is there enough for everybody? I, amen. We, I, amen. We need some more? Um, well, I got her first one because I didn't have one of the first ones and I need one to go over it. I, I hadn't, I hadn't, all right, so we need some overviews. Do you have an understanding? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, thank you. Aren't y'all sweet? Okay. Megan didn't get the first one. You need the second one? You got them both? Who needs what now? Everybody good? Marissa needs understanding. Here we go, Marissa. All right. All right, so there should be an overview floating, an extra overview somewhere, anybody? 
Megan needs an overview. Okay. All right. Boy, that was smooth, wasn't it? I apologize. All right. I got an extra understanding here. Anybody? Okay. You'll take an extra. Un- you, you mean an extra understanding or an extra, like, extra wisdom? I, okay. Thank you, David. Yeah, see, Peyton messes with me like that sometimes. All right. Pastor Rick told me, he said, you should put your name on this, and I'm not, I'm not good at putting my name on stuff, so anyway. Um, but really and truly, this didn't come from me, it came from the Holy Spirit. And what, what you have in your hands are, and we're going to start with the overview of righteousness, let's turn there first, okay? And I'm asking you, I asked the folks at Heritage uh, last year, these came actually on one page, and I asked them to put it on the refrigerator. Um, or on their bathroom mirror, or anywhere. Because I want you, here's your assignment, okay? I want you to look at this and read over this daily for a while, okay? Um, But what we have here is a concentration of the truth concerning righteousness. And so, amen, I'm going to just follow along with me as I read. It says, I am the righteousness of God. I did nothing to earn or deserve the righteousness I have become, but received it as a gift. I was born a sinner from the corrupted seed of Adam. Sin was more than a problem I had or something I tried not to do. Sin was my nature. I was a sinner and I was powerless to make myself right before God. My behavior, no matter how good, was powerless to change my sin nature. Because of the great love with which He loved me, Father sent Jesus to take the punishment for every sin I have committed in the past and will commit in the future. Jesus took the blame and punishment for everything I have done or will do wrong and gave me the credit and reward for everything He did right. Jesus also made a way for me to be born a second time from His seed, effectively killing my sin nature and recreating me with a new nature, His divine nature. Righteousness is now more than a quality I have or something I aspire to do. Righteousness is my new nature. Just as I was powerless to make myself righteous, I am powerless to keep myself righteous. My frame is dust, and my mind needs to be reconditioned because it has been infected, imprinted, and influenced by the world and my former nature. Therefore, I still commit sin on occasion. Thankfully, My righteousness is based upon what has been done for me and is not dependent upon my behavior. For my behavior, no matter how bad, is powerless to change my righteous nature. I humbly and joyfully submit myself to the righteousness of God. I humbly and joyfully... I want you to read this out loud. I I mean, not right now, but I mean like in the days ahead. Okay? Now the next one is called understanding the relationship between being righteous and doing right. Okay? Being righteous and doing right are related and dependent upon one another, but not the way most people understand. Most people think being righteous is dependent upon doing right but it is the exact opposite. Doing right is dependent upon being righteous. I was told and I believed for many years that I was a sinner. And as a sinner, I needed to do right. 
I was in essence being told to live in contradiction to what I was. The truth is, I was a sinner when Jesus found me, but he made me righteous. Through his blood and not not by or because of my good behavior, I was born a second time and became a new creature with a new nature and a new identity. Based upon this and this alone, I am not a sinner anymore and will never be one again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am no longer trying to live in contradiction to what I am. Now that I have been made righteous, I have the wherewithal to do right. The more my mind is reconditioned to my new nature and new identity, the more my life reflects the reality of the righteousness I have become. So being right and doing right are dependent upon one another. But trying to do right in order to be right is futile and unacceptable to God. Because He made me right, I be right, and because I be right, I can now do right. Amen. All right. Does that make sense to you? You need to renew your mind to these truths. All right? Now, let's, let's sort through some things. We've got a few more minutes. <clears throat> Three words. If you're writing words, amen. You got these? You erase these. Next week. If I have time, I'll get to it, but amen. All right. So the word is righteousness. Okay. The word is holiness. And the word is godliness. Okay. All right. Told you we've come full circle. All right. Now, a lot of people look at these three words and think that they all mean the same thing, and they do not. Okay? I'm going to explain to you the difference, but it begins with building on what we've been talking about now that word righteousness. Righteousness. If you're writing notes, write this down, please. Righteousness is a state of being. Righteousness is a state of being. Holiness is a state of doing. A state of doing. In other words, righteousness is something you be. Holiness is something you do. Righteousness is a state of being. Holiness is a state of doing. Godliness is a state of doing. Okay? So we have one state of being. Righteousness is a state of being. Holiness, state of doing. Godliness, state of doing. So what is holiness? 
Um, there are denominations that refer to themselves as holiness. Okay? And um, you know, sometimes that just simply means they believe they're better than you. Okay? <laughs> holiness, holiness is when we separate ourselves from things that displease God. Let me simplify it if I could. Because holiness is a state of doing and righteousness is a state of being. Holiness is all those things you don't do anymore because you be righteous or because you are righteous. Okay? It's all the jokes you don't tell anymore. It's all the websites you don't visit anymore. It's all the stuff you don't put in your body anymore. It's all the gossip you don't listen to or repeat anymore. It's, you understand what I'm saying? It's, it, it's all these things that we stay away from, we abstain from, we separate ourselves from those things. That's holiness. And the Bible, of course, has a lot to say about you and I striving to live a holy life. Okay? Now, if holiness is all of the things that we don't do anymore because we are now righteous, godliness is all the things that we do now because we have been made righteous. Godliness. It is a godly thing to come to church. I know I'm not trying to make anybody nervous. The word translated godliness, it doesn't even have um, the word godly or God in it. No, no Elohim, no Yahweh, no nothing. The word in the Greek is from the root Eusebia, and it simply means to be devout, to be committed, to, to be... Uh, uh, faithful, um, lots of different words that, that go into what this word Eusebia translated godliness. That's why a lot of times you'll see godliness in the New Testament and it'll be with lowercase g. And you're like, hold on a second here, dude. You, God's name is supposed to be capitalized. But you see, even in that sense, it, in other words, it, it means godlikeness in the sense that we are doing things to be like Him. Okay? But remember what Eve didn't know that she should have been taught by Adam. She was already like God. So we're trying to be like God. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We're trying to be like God, but not because we're not like Him, but we want the inward reality of our new birth to become an outward reflection or manifestation of life, right? Yes? Am I going too fast for you? Okay, so again, one more time. Righteousness is a state of being. It's something you become. It's something you have been made. There's only one way to be righteous. That's to be made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Okay? So because you have been made righteous, because you have been made righteous, we now have peace with God. We now have an inheritance given to us from God. We now have the kingdom of God inside of us. We now, I mean, you know, the potential that we have, the wealth that we've been given and have access to, the resources that we've been given and have access to, 
Uh, I mean, just on and on and on and on and on, right? All because of our right standing with God. Remember, an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus, entitled to everything from God the Father that Jesus is entitled to. And that's you right now. Now, if you're still a child, your life's going to be more like a slave than the ruler that you became, but it doesn't mean you didn't become that ruler. Amen. Okay? So what's a guy or gal to do who's an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus, who's in the same right standing with God the Father, creator of the universe, as God the Son is in right standing with Him, being made one with God. God refers to Him, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and you and me as us. What in the world is a guy or gal supposed to do about that? Well, it's holiness and godliness, my friends. It's separating ourselves from the junk that's in this world. It's getting the garbage out of our lives. It's getting our house in order. It's getting us far away from the crap, for the junk, that we know we should be getting away from, right? Amen. Uh, it, and, and then what is godliness? Godliness is committing ourselves to not, to not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, right? Godliness is coming to church. Godliness is reading your Bible. Godliness is praying. Godliness is serving. Godliness is, 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 is helping. Are you, I mean, we just go on and on and on with this, all right? So when I say a state of being versus state of doing, state of doing. Now, here is the good news. Because remember, submitting to righteousness is coming to terms with you can't do enough holy works or enough godly works to make yourself any more righteous than you already are. Right? So the good news is your righteousness is not dependent upon your progress in holiness and godliness. Your righteousness is based upon one thing and one thing only. The standard that Jesus has established and given to you as a gift. But if you ever want, if you ever desire... For the person that you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you ever desire the resurrected, glorified Lord to live in you and to live through you in power and in might and in demonstration, it's going to require some holiness and godliness effort on my part and on yours. It's not that these things don't count. Oh, they count. As a matter of fact, the Bible says godliness is profitable in every area of your life. There is no area of your life, there's no area untouched in a positive way in your life by godliness, by committing yourself, by giving yourself, by by putting forth the effort, by going the extra mile, by coming to a 5 o'clock class, by staying for a 7 o'clock service, by getting up early on a Sunday morning and praying and then going to a class and then staying for service and then praying for people in the altar and then standing around and fellowshipping until they turn the lights out and then only to come back that evening. We're not doing this because we're trying to impress anybody. We're not doing this because, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we're trying to make it to heaven here and we better, you know, watch our P's and Q's and play our religious cards right and, and you know, God knows, you know, we, we, Jesus may come back on a Sunday night, ha, 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 and everybody's home watching the races. No, no, see, see what that, that's ridiculous. You're already seated with Him in heaven. Amen. You're already there. That's not what this is about. This is about Father's business. This is about your destiny. This is about your assignment. This is about you pleasing Him. This is about what you do in return and in response to what He's done for you. This isn't about trying to earn acceptance. There's a huge difference in serving God trying to be accepted versus serving Him because you know you are. Thank you, Jesus. It's the motivation, see. It's what motivates you. Holiness is what you do. I'm sorry, what you don't do is, is I'm just trying to you know me, I try to simplify everything, okay? But holiness is it's you know, you, everybody's wanting to know these days, can you do that and still go to heaven? 
we ought to be asking, can I do this and not grieve the Holy Spirit? Can I go participate in this activity and still have an awareness of my righteousness when the night's finished? That's the questions we need to ask. Amen. Amen. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's where we understand what's been done for us and what's been given to us. And these things become our response to this gift. Not an effort to earn it. Not, not some passion because we're going to make up for You can't make up. I can't make up for all the dumb things we've done. All the mistakes that we've made. All the sin that we've committed. And Father doesn't want you to. It's arrogant to think that you can. You can't. Submit yourself to the righteousness. Receive the righteousness. Believe the righteousness. Thank God for the righteousness. And then respond to who you now be. Amen. By being holy. And being godly. And letting the grace of God teach you how to live godly in an evil, perverse world. Teaching you how to live soberly. In a wicked generation. I've told the story so many times I can almost just put it on autopilot. But The story goes something like this. There was a woman who was married to a man. He was a tyrant. He was verbally abusive. He um, felt like that she was never good enough and made her feel that way. She made all these, he made all these ridiculous lists every, every day. Things that he wanted to have done before he got home from work. And if those things weren't accomplished, it was going to be horrible the way he treated her and acted. She did her best to try to do what she could and up and one day the man died. Don't say good riddance, just say he died. Amen. Not long after that, she married, married again. She married a very loving husband who, who, who loved her and who doted on her and who encouraged her and who built her up, understanding what she had been through in the past. He, he was, you know, made every effort to make her feel appreciated and wanted and, and, and loved by him. And, and he never really fussed at anything that you know, he didn't feel like she was doing right, just chose to ignore it and love her anyway through it. And one day she was cleaning out some drawers and some things, and she found a stack of her first husband's lists. And she began to cry as she read through those lists. Because she came to this realization that she was now doing everything on those lists for her new husband and enjoying doing it compared to what she used to do out of some sense of duty or fear or obligation for her first husband. We don't have to serve Him. We get to serve Him. I don't have to obey Him. I'd be a fool not to. Every word He's ever said, He said to me and to you, and He said it to us with our best interest in mind. Everything He's ever told me not to do, every stove He's ever told me not to touch, He's told me not to do it and not to touch it because of the harm that it will do to me, because of the damage that it will bring to my life, because it will make me less of what He created me to be, and it will lead me on a pathway towards an inferior life. Every instruction, every command, every, every word, every deed, every action, you are the apple of His eye, 
He sings over you while you sleep at night. He writes your name with His ink in the palm of His, of his hand. He, he loves you. He desires you. He longs for you. He numbers the hairs that are on your head. He only wants good for you. And when your sin separated you from Himself and your sin demanded justice, He turned His wrath upon Himself so that you could be, your sin could have propitiation, you could be redeemed, you could be justified, and then ultimately reconciled means to be restored into right relationship with Him. Because He longs for you, He desires you, He wants you to be in right standing before Him so that you can be in right relationship, right fellowship with Him. Amen. 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 Praise the name of the living God. You are righteous. You are righteous. You are righteous. You are righteous. I want to just keep saying it until they start playing the music in there for me to come in there and preach, okay? The devil doesn't want you to know it. The devil wants you to think of yourself as a loser. He wants you to think of yourself as a failure. He wants you to see yourself as a sinner. He wants you to be more aware of your sin than you are aware of your righteousness. He wants you to believe that if you make a mistake, it diminishes your righteousness. He also wants you to think that if somehow you just you know, really got it all together and now all of a sudden you're more righteous than Jesus Himself, don't buy into any of those lies, okay? Amen. Let's just submit, joyfully submit. Joyfully submit to the righteousness of God. Amen. Father, thank You for the men and women in this room. Thank You for the truth in Your Word. Thank You for what Jesus has done for us and freely given to us. Thank You, Father, that the wrath that's revealed from heaven, Lord, is no longer directed upon us. But the wrath that's revealed from heaven has been replaced now with the righteousness by faith that was revealed and given freely from heaven by the gift of Your Son. Father, I thank You tonight that as we sit here, Lord, um, as those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are just as right before You in Your eyes as He is. So, Father, help us, Lord, to remember that when we pray. Father, we're not beggars. We're sons and daughters. Father, that we have just as much right to Your throne of grace as Jesus because of what He's done for us and because of what He's given to us. So, Father, help us in these areas of holiness and godliness. Show us, Father, things that we need to stop doing that are, that are hurting You and hurting our progress, Father. And show us things that we need to be more faithful and give more attention to. Not that our righteousness is dependent upon our, our behavior in these areas, but Father, the, the things that we experience in our life reality are vastly influenced and affected by the choices that we make, good and bad. So Lord, thank You for loving us. Thank You for being so patient with us. Thank You, Father, that this Word has not only been heard tonight, but it will not be stolen, it will not be choked out, but it's landed on fertile soil, and it will produce Your results 30, 60, 100 times over in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. And Amen. I love you all. Have a great evening. Praise God.